Montebello Church Sermons. So I have a question for you to ponder, maybe even discuss at lunch today. Let me just rewind the clock back just a few months before the virus, before the toilet paper shortage, before the stay-at-home orders, and let me just add one extra piece to the scenario. You have a guest who is going to be staying with you, and you get to choose whoever you want that to be. It could be anybody, but they have to stay at your house for the entire length of the quarantine. We'll supply the food and the toilet paper, but your guest has to actually stay in amongst you and your family for the entire time. Now I realize that for some of you, you're going to choose family or friends, but let me just ask, and let me just put one more twist to it. It can't be someone you know personally. I realize that makes it more complicated, and for argument's sake, let's just confine it to someone who's famous. It can be a movie star, a musician, a TV celebrity, a YouTube personality. Now for some of you, you may be t tempted to consider a famous chef. It might come in handy during the quarantine. Maybe someone like Rachel Ray or Gordon Ramsay. It could be someone a little bit more manly like Matthew McConaughey or Chris Hemsworth who played Thor, you know, to help you with weeding in your backyard. What if we just expanded and we allowed historical figures as well? George, General George Patton might come in handy when your kids start getting out of line. But, but you're all watching a church service, so I recognize that most of you see where I'm going with this because the answer to every question in church is Jesus. But wait, what if he stayed with you for these last several months? Seriously, what would have changed? Don't fall for the idea that he's going to fill the fridge with loaves and fishes. He's not a vending machine. That was not the point of his miracles. I'm asking this because I think the question actually is more complicated and maybe more valuable than you might think. See, Jesus told, tells a story that we're all extremely familiar with. In fact, so much so, I have a tendency to just kind of dismiss it. But recently, when I was reading 1 John, I saw this story in a very different light. It's a story of the prodigal sons. Yeah, I said sons, plural. Both boys were alienated from their dad. The youngest son comes in one day with a plan, the plan to quit the family and get what he finally longed for. Give me my inheritance now, he says. Sell off the portion of my land that's been passed down for generations. Trade in the stocks and the bonds. I don't need the memorabilia and the baby photos. I just need cold, hard cash to get what I'm really longing for. The NIV translates the next part by saying, not long after this, the older son, the youngest, the younger son, got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And this translation is fine, but actually for my money, the King James Version goes a step further and tells what this kid actually did, translating the sentence by saying this, he wasted his substance with riotous living. <laughs> Leave it to King Jimmy to say it with some flair. Those words do paint a vivid picture. It's one thing to say that your party was wild, but another thing to say that you threw a party where you wasted all of your substance and the party turned into a riot. But look, when the smoke clears and the morning arrives, however many days later, he wakes up to a famine. All the times I've read this story, I've only really seen the three characters, but this fourth character, the famine, really plays a pivotal role. The famine may look like a villain, but the famine exposes the true villain in the story because a kid's joy is found in his money. He's turned to his wallet for happiness. But wealth is a fickle God. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. 
we all know it, but sometimes we fail to realize how often subtle it is and hides itself cleverly until it captures our hearts and we wind up worshiping it without realizing it. That is until someone or something comes along and takes it away like a famine or a pandemic. Maybe you heard this on the news, but a Texas politician who was elderly said that he and his generation should be willing to lay down their lives and die of COVID just so the grandkids could hold on to their wealth. Now that is just frighteningly similar to the ancient pagan practice of throwing someone into a volcano as a sacrifice just to appease the pagan deity. I don't know how the man's grandkids felt about him, but that's not a tra trade that my kids want to make. If anything, they keep begging their grandparents to be more careful with this pandemic because they want to keep them around as long as possible. They're never going to be willing to make the sacrifice their grandparents for a few extra bucks. And it's an insult to think that this coming generation is driven by money. I mean, they lived through the recession. They've seen for themselves how fleeting wealth is. But famines come in many forms. People who have relied on their looks discover quickly that age brings a famine because you can't look at 65 like you did at 25. Athletes try to hold on to their talent as long as they can, but, but a famine eventually comes because you can't play at 65 like you did at 25. Singers who now can't hit the high notes that they used to, the once powerful businesses eventually end up getting old and close their doors. Watch the panic in their eyes when the stock market crashes or all the accounts get hacked or a pandemic closes everything down. Famine in all of its forms reveal who the real gods are in their lives and how weak those gods actually are. In the next few months, listen carefully to how many times you hear good Christian people who say that God is their source of blessing, but then turn around and say, we will all be ruined if candidate X doesn't win this coming election. And I've heard Christians say that for either candidate. But more importantly, listen to the level of panic and urgency in their voice. But wait, Christian, I, I thought that God was your source of blessing. I assumed that he was still king over all the kings. And, and this God, he has, a, he has a dramatic track record of stopping at nothing to pursue his people's hearts. If he was willing to sacrifice his own son on a cross to win your heart over, then do you really think that he'll even think twice about sending a famine if it exposes your idols for the frauds that they are and cause you to abandon those false gods and return back to him? Look, don't pray for famine, but do pray earnestly that God will expose all of our false idols so that we won't be tricked into worshiping anybody but him. The blessings aren't worth it if they risk losing your soul. If you lost your job, your home, your retirement account, but this country experienced revival and turned back to God, then wouldn't you be willing to do it? We as a church have proven this in the past when we were willing to, to do without, to bring the neighborhood just a step closer to God. Last year, remember, we fasted and prayed for the community around us. And in the middle of the coming next months, right in the middle of this pandemic, we're gonna be asking you again to fast and pray not only for Montevilla's neighborhoods, but yours as well, because it's not wrong for us to ask God to use this pandemic like he used the famine for this kid to experience revival and to finally turn back home. But there's a twist in this story. The son has a problem. In fact, it's the same problem that he shares with his older brother. Both boys had grown up under the same roof with their dad. They ate meals with him. They did road trips together. They worked on chores with him. 
They celebrated holidays with him. But despite all of that, neither son ever really knew who their dad was. The youngest son assumes that he knows what his father's reaction is going to be when he returns home having squandered the family inheritance that God had given them when his family had entered into the promised land. He's thinking to himself he's going to be lucky just to avoid getting run off the ranch, let alone getting a job at the lowest level of his father's operation. So based on what he thinks about his dad, he carefully prepares a speech. He chooses his words wisely in hopes that he'll be allowed to work for his dad for just, just enough to eke out a living. You see, this youngest son had assumed the same thing as the oldest. Years ago, the oldest son, instead of running, he just decided to stick it out and work like a dog for his dad because he thought that's what his dad was really like. Just like his younger brother, he totally missed out on the real identity of his father. He was trying desperately to earn what his father had already set aside for him. Both of them operated on the assumption that their old man was a strict, unforgiving taskmaster. So we see the youngest son was running away and the oldest son was slaving away, but both were away. For both boys, they thought they knew their father, but he was just a familiar stranger to them. That sounds cruel to say familiar stranger, but it's worth pondering at maybe how that applies to our relationship with our Heavenly Father. It's possible that going to church with all of its practices and activity ended up masking how intimate we really are with God. And now that those things are limited, we may have become more aware that we really don't know God as intimately as we, we thought. There's really not much of a relationship at all once the bells and whistles are all gone. Like the couple who wake up one day to an empty nest and realize that their spouse is just a familiar stranger. They've had a lifetime of living side by side, but they stopped talking face to face a long time ago. Maybe you've realized that your acts of sacrificial service, your carefully planned speeches that you choose in your prayers, or maybe you've realized that you weren't really praying, you were just listening to others pray in church. Maybe, maybe your obedience you've realized were done out of duty or driven by guilt or motivated by fear. Or maybe, like the youngest son, your heart doesn't care anymore and you've just moved on to pursue other things that you think are going to satisfy you. But I realize one other piece of this story. Because these two boys didn't know their dad, they both missed out on being a family. The youngest was willing to abandon his brother and leave him alone to handle everything on his own. And the oldest refused to take one step closer to his own brother when he returns and actually, actually appears angry that his brother is even alive. You see, because they were strangers to their father, they ended up being strangers to their own brother. For years, both boys longed for a party, but because they really didn't know who their own father was, they missed out on not only having a party, but they wind up alienated from one another. They lived life like orphans, no father, no brother, and no family. These were angry, bitter young men all alone. But after the famine, at least one of the brothers' lives has been changed. As painful as it was, it exposed his false perception of his dad. The loss drove the youngest back into his father's arms, and possibly for the first time, he felt the hug of his father. At this time of calamity, forced those who thought they knew God back into his arms, and for the first time, they discovered that he was really far different than they thought he was. 
then wasn't all of this worth it? If our economy crashes, but in the process, everyone who thinks that they were following Christ suddenly becomes aware that they were being fooled, and that they're now rescued from worshiping a false god, as painful of all of this is, isn't that a blessing? What if this painful time unites the church and allows the Lord to be encountered in some of our neighbors' lives for the first time in a long time? And what if you yourself wind up in fellowship with the Father and not eternally separated from Him? Does that change how you feel about this whole trial we've been going through? We say all the time that God's in control and that He's a source of our blessings. But during a time of testing, we find ourselves suddenly filled with rage isn't it reasonable to ponder if we've accidentally invited some false idol in instead? The book of 1 John's clear about this in the second chapter. It says, Do not love the world or anything in the world. For if anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in them. He goes on to remind us that this world will pass away. It's vulnerable to ruin, to political upheaval, to pandemics and famines. So don't place your heart there. Align your heart to those things that, that won't leave you heartbroken, standing out in the cold, filled with rage, alone and unloved. Never put yourself in the position where you don't know the embrace of the Father or the love of your brother or sister, because it will block you from the joyous celebrations that erupt out of those embraces. Further on, John writes this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God, and everybody who has been born of God they will know God. And whoever doesn't love doesn't know God because God is love. See, when the Father steps outside the party to pursue the older, hardworking, dutiful, yet equally misguided and strange son, it's clear that he's encouraging that, that the son is in, encountering his famine. Inside the party is everything that he longs for, the joy of the celebration, the fattened calf that he had been working for, but now he's separated from all of that. He's on the outside, cold, isolated, hungry, disappointed and upset, standing there with a bruised ego and a disgusted snarl on his face. And that's when his father pleads with him to go in and embrace his brother. But how could he celebrate the return of the one who had betrayed him, left him on his own to take care of the entire place, willing to bring, having to try to figure out how to bring enough crops without the younger brother's land that he had sold off, especially during an ongoing famine? This kid didn't have the ability to love his brother because you can't pass on what you've never received and this son had never known his father's love. But that's why the father pleads with him to go in and embrace his brother. Listen to John's words again. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God may be love, but how are we to encounter this God and his love, if we can't even see him? John's giving us the answer. The father has love for the youngest son. That's the target of his love. But he's pleading with the oldest son to allow the love that the father has to enter into his heart so that it can complete the journey when he goes to embrace his brother, especially the brother who had given him so much heartache. When we allow God's love to pass through us to others, we experience his love. And in fact, the more barriers that love has to overcome, the more powerful the love. And right now there seems to be so many hurdles that love needs to overcome because we live in a time of such anger. It's hovering around hatred, all because of our politics. 
read the online posts, watch the news and the anger over face masks and the resentment about having to look out for the weaker brother. And at time, you, you, after reading it, you start getting filled with your own rage. And it leaves you outside hurt and angry. And then recently, I ended up talking to a pretty committed Republican from our church who was being directed to do something that illustrates all of this so well. They were in the process of writing our governor, Kate Brown, a letter to thank her for making some of these impossible decisions she's having to make during this pandemic. Did you see that? The love that God has for Kate Brown took a step closer to reaching its goal of entering into her heart through a member of God's family, who in the process of doing that experiences the same love for the Father for her own self. I recognize that even in that last story, some of you may have rolled your eyes and then suddenly realized that it's possible that God might be pleading with you to embrace the love that he has for a lost brother or sister. Then suddenly you realize maybe you're further from home than you realize. But that you're on the outside more angry and more disgusted than you realize. And that God's genuine love, not pity, but love for them is completely foreign to you. In fact, their presence keeps you outside raging on social media or yelling at the TV. But that also means that you're not in the celebration and possibly you realize that you're not as close to God as you thought. Because despite all the time that you've spent around him, it's possible that God is just a familiar stranger. But famines or quarantines or failure can change all of that. At the beginning of all of this, I asked, how the last few months would have been different if Jesus had stayed with you. How would it have transformed your home, the attitude and atmosphere of your house, the late night discussions, the heart to heart talks? How much closer would your family be now if he was sitting down and eating dinner night after night? It's pretty thrilling to think how much your family could be transformed if the one who loves them the most was in your home. But John just pointed out that, that while no one has seen God in all of his glory, he still wants your family to encounter him through his love for them, but he wants to use you to deliver that, that supernatural encounter of his love. And the added bonus is that when you're delivering that love, it's going through you, and you're experiencing his love as well. Suddenly, he's no longer a stranger. So today, invite him to stay with you and volunteer to pass on His love through the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. And you're going to discover that the celebration and the family that you've been craving for was much closer than you ever could have imagined. Montebello Church Sermons